What is up, everyone? This is Dan Goodman, and I will be the co-host today of the Business of Strength podcast. I won't be joined by any of the usual suspects, but I will be joined today by somebody that we look up to quite a bit, uh, Mark Fisher, who is the co-owner and founder of Mark Fisher Fitness and the Business for Unicorns. He is super smart, unbelievable copywriter. I actually got one of his emails uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I finally just said, hey, Mark, we got to talk business. We got to talk marketing. I think that our listeners could stand to benefit so much from learning from you. And he happily obliged. And uh, he gave an hour of some awesome tidbits and tactical things that you as a strength coach can apply to your business. So as always, five-star reviews are much appreciated. And make sure to check us out at thebusinessofstrength.com. Here's our episode with Mark. Enjoy. Hey, Mark, we really appreciate you being on the Business of Strength show here today. Can you please tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Yes. So my name is Mark. I own a very unusual gym in Midtown Manhattan called Mark Fisher Fitness. And when I say it is unusual, it is because it is most well known for being a very over-the-top brand. And our tagline is Ridiculous Humans serious fitness, which we really, really try to live. So we really pride ourselves on being true nerdy nerds. And many of our coaches, much of our program design approach comes out of a relatively serious strength and conditioning background. We are a team of training nerds that came from the same, uh, you know, strengthcoach.com perform better slash T nation lineage as many people from our respective corner of the industry. We just deliver it in a very subversive way. So the programming, I think, will hold up pretty well to anybody that's a true serious fitness nerd. But we know the reality is when we're selling fitness to our clients, they tend to not care too, too much about that stuff. And we are a straight up gen pop gym. And we particularly specialize in people that don't like gyms. So my own background is I was actually an actor for many years mm -hmm. and I did specifically musical theater. So Mark Fisher Fitness was originally a love letter to the Broadway community where I wanted to work with my friends that are Broadway performers and give them the great information that I was passionate about and I was very interested in that they had zero interest in and that I don't think the fitness industry necessarily did a good job of translating to my friend group who again, for the most part, were people that were either scared of and or did not like gyms. So specifically what that means is instead of calling our clients members, we call them ninjas. Instead mm -hmm. of, we don't usually use the word gym. We prefer to call our home the Enchanted Ninja Clubhouse of Glory and Dreams. Um, our mascot is the unicorn and it's very pink and glittery and rainbowy and just complete psychedelic, bizarre community focused space, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a very satisfying, interesting ride from somebody that, although I was an actor for many years, had this kind of closet obsession with fitness and strength and conditioning. So I do take a certain perverse pleasure in if, when you think about a community of very eccentric New York city art artists, uh, certainly a lot of gay people and having an opportunity to share with them let me tell you about my friend, Dan John, or like, let me tell you about, there's this guy, Mike Boyle. Yeah. And there's a certain perverse pleasure I think I take out of learning from people. Not, not that they would have like an issue necessarily with Mark Fisher Fitness. And certainly they've both become good friends at this point. But what I most want to do is translate the information to the people I most revered and I most looked up to and respected mm -hmm. and deliver it to a community that I'm not sure would otherwise be able to process it. So 
I want to go back a little bit to, I never heard it described like this. And obviously we, we're going to talk a lot about marketing today, but when, when you hear, you, you know, so clearly who your say target ninja is and speaking, you talk about writing a love letter and you think about it like that to sit down and write a love letter to your target market. It's like, wow. That just sounds completely different than being like, hey, let's sit down and write to your avatar. Yeah, People don't yeah, even yeah, know yeah. what an avatar is. You just yeah. uh, eloquently described exactly the person that you're trying to serve and in improve the experience and understand the pain points for that person. And you know, you're you're telling a story when talking about how you uh, built the brand that is Mark Fisher Fitness, and you know. Talk a little bit about when you started and, and, and how you knew that you were on to uh, fitness being more than just a, a, a passion project. How did, how did that kind of, how did you bridge the gap going from actor to, to doing something like it happened for me too, where I was playing football and I finished playing football and I was like, Hey, people want to pay me money to teach them how to do this thing. Is this really a job? <laughs> like, so I'm sure you had a similar experience. Yeah, I mean, that, that's precisely it. So throughout my 20s, really my early 20s, I got into very into fitness purely because I was very skinny. And for my profession, I wanted to look a certain way. And also as a young single man in New York City, I wanted to look a certain way. So it was purely about vanity. So I got into it purely for aesthetics. And I went all in. And in the early aughts, I was got super into the study of bodybuilding, which is also hilarious, of course, because I would later learn that a lot of those training protocols are not necessarily what we would probably say are the most progressive, but you know, I was reading Flex Magazine, I was reading Muscle and Fitness, Everybody. and I read like the weird ones. I was reading like a muscular development, I was reading like Reps Magazine, Iron, <laughs> Iron Man, like I, and I literally read all, because there were like six or seven of them, and I read all of them, like cover to cover every month for like three to five years. And although maybe some of the program design stuff and the exercise technique stuff was not reflective of what I would later learn, I think it's probably a more useful best practice. I did understand the way the training and nutrition could change your body. And again, at that point, it was very, very much about vanity. Mm -hmm. So as my 20s progressed, I continued to start working more and more as an actor, which was cool. And I also needed to fill in the gap sometimes. So at a certain point, after I had been giving away a lot of this information because I was so enthusiastic to share it with my friends when I was doing shows with them, I decided to go ahead and get an actual certification and get a job. And I got hired at the New York Sports Club next to the Broadway theater that was housing rent. So I was like, this is perfect. Cool. It's like right in Midtown Manhattan. What year was this, Mark? This would have been 2007, I think. So I had been doing it for several years already by this point, but again, to my credit, I knew that I didn't know what I was talking about. So I never charged anyone any money. And of course I did things that were like hilarious. I'd have some, you know, young ingenue female wanting to work out and I'd give her like a back by splits, you know? <laughs> um, but what was interesting about this gig in your sports club is one day I was walking the floor in the first month or two and one of the clients actually, because of course, you know, I'm working on the floor, right? I'm a young commercial big box train, I'm working on the floor. I'm saying, hey, hey, hello, hello, making friends. And this gal, Miriam, God, God lover, was like, hey, have you ever heard of a website called T Nation or Testosterone or whatever it was called at the time? And I was like, no, I'll go check that out. And that blew my head open. And that was, I think, very important for me because those of us that remember, and this, this might be before your time, young Dan, I don't know if that you were around at this point, but there was this transitional moment where for a while that was the hot spot. And it was this particularly T Nation in the late aughts 
I have to give credit for, for so much of my foundation because you had this interesting lineage where you still had, you know, the Ian Kings and the Charles Poliquins and kind of the old yep. bar writing. You had at that time people that were getting kind of established, like the Chad Waterburys, the Alan Cosgroves, the uh, Jason Ferugias. Jay, Jay Ferugias, that's, that that's who put me on to T Nation in totally. like 2008, 2007. Totally. Joe DeFranco. Exactly. Joe DeFranco, right? Yeah. And then you also had the advent of, you know, Boyle would write sometimes, Dan John was writing. Then you had people that were very much up and comers at the time. You had like Eric Cressy and Mike Robertson. Mm -hmm. And it just blew my head open because I was so, also, I had a background, I think this is worth noting, as a dancer. So I went to school for musical theater and I was not a great dancer, but mm -hmm. I became pretty proficient at dancing because it was something I really dedicated myself to. And I stopped dancing relatively earlier in my career for, for two reasons. One, I wasn't that great. And I didn't like it. So let's be clear about that. It was part of it. But it was also because I just started to hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing Cats, the Broadway musical, not on Broadway, in Akron, Ohio, of all places, <laughs> I'm noticing my hips are getting really tight. My calves are getting tight. And I didn't even know what foam rolling was. So the dance world, a lot of their approach, I mean this with love, at least at that time, a lot of their approach to human movement, to biomechanics, it was pretty antiquated stuff. And I didn't really know what to do. And I was just like, this hurts, I'm gonna stop. And again, mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't really that big of a deal because I didn't really like it that much. Frankly, I, I wanted to play roles and sing and be the leading man. So I can't pretend as if I was like, oh, I could have been a dancer because that's not the case at all. But it occurred to me when I started getting into the stuff, it really connected with my interest in human movement. And I started to see the, the things that I had been taught as a dancer, some of the training paradigms at that time that were in vogue, started to understand that maybe this isn't the best way for my friends to be moving their body, who if they're a dancer or an actor, it's a kind of athlete. They can't do their job. They can't make their art. They can't make money if they can't physically move well. So what started happening was I started being so interested in sharing what I was learning with this particular community. And then to make a long story short, in a very quick period of time, I would say it was like my mistress that I left. Like as much as I loved acting over time, I just, I loved fitness so much. I'd love the direct helper high of seeing someone make progress by getting to train them. I was so intellectually just fascinated by all, by all of it. And at a certain point I decided, all right, well, let me try to see if I can do this as like, a real business. I'm going to stick in town. I had like just turned 30. I did a national commercial. I made a ton of money uh, for me at the time. It was like 20 grand off one day. I was like, what? You know, and I'd never made more than like 30 grand a year as an actor. So I was like, I'm a TV and film actor now. And I decided, <laughs> all right, I'm going to stick in town. I'm going to see what happens if I put a little, a little bit of effort. And again, I had been reading T Nation and to some extent been, I think, subconsciously internalizing the marketing funnels of that era of of fitness people that when I started, I kind of had a sense of where I wanted to go with the brand. I was inspired, I think, by like the Tony Gentacores and John Romanellos and the people that were a little edgier. Mm -hmm. And I decided I want to just start writing for my pals, right? And these were my friends. And I, I started a blog and I started doing email marketing and I started reading about entrepreneurship. And again, I feel in so lucky to fall in that world because the first book I read was Emeth. Yeah. yeah, I just feel so, I was like literally the right. first it's book so I funny. I, like, oh. I literally keep it on my desk. Like it's, it's literally next highlighted up, up like everywhere. It's, it's next on my queue list. It'll be, I think the fourth or fifth time I've read it. Yeah, I haven't read in a while. And I just recently amazing. was like, you know what? We're reopening MFF again. Let me read Enoch again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and you know, to that point too, like I, I, I want to talk, um, 
about your your writing skills because um, it is something that can be exercised. I think everybody can can get better at writing. Um, I, I know that the first time I ever voluntarily uh, purchased the book and read it, I know that my parents literally laughed because I went to school because I wanted to play sports. I went to college to play sports. I graduated because I needed to stay eligible to play sports. And then all sure. of a sudden I found this career that I love and I'm like, well, I need to get better at it. And then somebody was like, Hey, look, like all the answers that you need are in books that you haven't read. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then voila. And of course, here we are. I don't have a fancy bookshelf like that behind me, but I do have a lot of books. (laughs) But to that point, the reason why we're on this call is because, um, well, obviously I know what you guys had been doing and have been watching from afar and a lot of mutual, um, uh, colleagues just speak highly of, of you and Michael and, uh, it's the writing ability. And literally this morning before we started recording the show, it's like, dude, you just, it's like you're talking shit to me in emails and it feels like we're having a conversation via the email and uh, the power of marketing and the power of words. And obviously in, in regards to that list, that's with the business business uh, for unicorns Mm -hmm. for other strength coaches and, and, and business owners. But I know that you've, you've, um, used the list to grow your gym. So can you talk a little bit about how, you know, there's a question that a lot of strength coaches throw out there. It's like, Oh, that's great, Mark. That's great, Dan, but I don't have a list. So kind of in a multifaceted approach here, like how did you start building your list and how did you get better at writing? So I am so glad we're talking about this because it's interesting. Cause you, you made a point too. We talked to some people that have been I think role models for us. And at a certain point, and maybe, maybe it's still the case. I don't know, but I, when I was coming up, it was so clear you had to do this. And admittedly, you know, in the early 2010s, I think email, you could probably argue was more effective, but it is most certainly not dead. And it's still very effective if you do it. And mm-hmm. to your point, the first thing you need to do is have some contacts that you have organized. And I think if you're looking to be successful in this industry, whether you're looking to really have a robust career as a solopreneur doing your own thing, or certainly if you want to grow a business of any size, one of the most important and treasured assets you need to develop is an organized contact database. And I always think of this as a few buckets, right? You have your current clients, you have your former clients, you have your unconverted prospects, and then you have your family and friends. Now, I have a slightly different framework that I use when a business is a little bit more developed, but for most people getting started, if you're, let's say one to two, even five, 10 years into this business, and you've been a personal trainer or you've run a facility, the good news, bad news is that's not an unlimited number of people. It's probably a finite number. And the first, very first thing you want to do is just create a list of all the people, you know, and I often offer this as the. I think heuristic you want to use. If you would say hi to them, if you saw them in a grocery store, I think they should be added to your list that you're That's contacting right about what you offer. Right. Sure. And I mean, like literally, and this is this is annoying, but it's a finite task. It's I I, you know, I, I gently tough love you. You don't know that many people, right? Like you, like you don't know that many people, right? So I, mean, I live in New York, I know a lot of people, and I don't know like that many people. It's not unlimited. So I would literally encourage you to go through your phone go through your, your phone numbers, go through your email contacts. And what you want to do is anybody you feel you have enough personal relationship with that you would say hello to them in a grocery store is going to be the seeding of your email marketing list. Because here's mm-hmm. the thing, when you let people know what you do and how you can help them, 
I don't think that's annoying. And if you want, I think one thing you could do that I think is a, a nice way of, if you're nervous about, well, I don't want to be spamming people. Well, if we'll get in a minute to what is actually you write them, but ideally you're writing them good stuff. It's not spam that they're maybe kind of interested in listening to. But leaving that aside for now, if you're all worried about that, what you could do is you do one initial email to let everybody know. And depending on the number of people in your contact list, it might make sense to do a few different blind copied emails from your personal email and just give them a heads up and say, hey, everybody, so sorry for the mass email. I just wanted to let you know. I know many of you are aware of this, but I work in fitness and I would love to start sharing with you some information. I think it help you have success, move forward towards your goals. I will be contacting you, you know, this often about these particular topics. And I'm letting you know for your convenience, I'm just going to be putting you on this email list. Mm -hmm. And of course, I want to respect your inbox hygiene. So for any reason, you don't want to get these communications. Once you get them, there's going to be an unsubscribe link. You're absolutely happy to unsubscribe. You can email me right now and let me know and I'll take you off. I don't want to bug you, but I'm so convinced that the information I'm going to share with you is going to actually help you be successful. Whatever your fitness goals might be. Um, thank you so much. I'd love to hear, how are you doing? And something like that, right? So I think you're going to, you're going to take off any nerves about being spammy then. And then we'll move on to this in a moment, but at that point, then it's a matter of just keeping up at whatever your consistent pulse is, because if you want to be successful, people have to know what you do. And it is amazing how often with, again, with all due respect, nobody knows you exist. Like literally no. nobody has ever, ever, ever even heard of you, right? Mark Fisher Fitness, literally no one's ever heard of, right? Even in Midtown Manhattan, no one, no one has heard of us. Right. And we have a massive business by right. the way, right? right? But I think- it's important to understand that particularly if you're in these smaller markets, you want to leverage your personal relationships. And so it's literally like your fifth grade teacher. It is your wife's best friend from college. It is your mom's best friend from growing up. It is that, that, you know, the funny coworker you had or your previous totally. gig where you had that funny repartee, all of these individuals are likely going to want to know. And, and my final sales case for you, just in case anyone's like, I don't know about this is in New York City, what happens is I'm friends with a lot of actors and many actors wind up becoming real estate agents. And the very first thing that happens if you get a job at a major commercial real estate platform is they make you dump every contact you've ever had into an email and they start doing email marketing. Because of course, with that business, it's so much about just what we call top of mind awareness. They just, mm -hmm. you need to remember that this person does real estate because you never know when someone's going to buy. And it's not like people are buying apartments or homes that often. And I'll tell you, as somebody that has been the recipient of many of these emails from my actor friends turned realtors, I'm never annoyed. I like them. They're my friend. I kind of want to know what's going on. Same. And if, I, if I don't, I'll unsubscribe. It's not a big deal. So right. anyway, I hope I've beaten this. No, that was great. No, that, that was amazing. And it, it's something that I, I think people are just, it's daunting and they just don't start. And, and it's too easy to uh, revert to things like social media. But I, I know, look, every business needs to be on social media. I'm not saying that it's not unimportant. Totally. However, it's just the, the statistics don't lie. If we, if I'm, we sent an email this morning, we sent an email this morning to a client list of 350 people in our one location. And the open rate was almost 50%. So if we, if we did the same exact content with a great photo on social media, the interactions on however many followers we have, it's not going to be 50%. Right. 
So the statistics don't lie. I'm not saying having a great list on social media doesn't matter, but you don't own that list and you can't kind of, you can't um, influence how people are going to interact with that post. You can much more so with email and you own those contacts forever. Um, going back to the beginning of our conversation, the first people that you trained were your friends. Yeah. So yeah. same with me, like yeah. the first people that I trained was my younger brother and his friends and then their friends. And it was just kind of like, all right, well, give me your parents' contact information and I'm going to talk to them via email on what I can do for them. And it was like ridiculous emails, typos and, you know, run on sentences, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I was, but I was staying top of mind for our business. And now at this point, um, we hang our hat on email marketing and it's strictly to stay top of mind. So what are some of your, um, selfishly asking, what are some of your tactics for, uh, creating space to sit down and write? Do you have anchored times in the week? Do you have uh, a, a set um, posting, like a set send schedule? And you have a multitude of businesses. So how do you compartmentalize? Yeah, so I do have a very set schedule. I want to acknowledge, and this is a, a thing important to contextualize this for those listening, because of where MFF and BizFunicorns are at at this point, I would argue me writing emails is actually one of the very most important things that I do. It's one of the core parts of my job and not explicitly just emails all the time, but also landing page copy. Mm -hmm. And anytime there's a big change that needs to be communicated to the ninjas, uh, I mentioned before we got on the air, MFF is making some pretty meaningful changes to our service offerings. Oh boy, that is a thread the needle kind of communication that needs to find just the right tone of like excited, but acknowledging you might like it, but earnest and excited will give us a try and aware that not everybody's going to like this and crystal clear about what the changes are. So over the years, the ability to communicate in written form and also in video and in public talks has become the thing that I think I had a natural aptitude for, and then I just like leverage, leverage, leverage. So to answer your specific question, a typical week looks like to get very specific is Monday morning, I write the draft of that Thursday's business for unicorns email. And then Tuesday morning, I will edit that draft. And I, I usually allow myself 30 to 60 minutes and it varies mm -hmm. a little bit based on just how I'm getting going. So I try to make sure I have enough flux during my morning magic time, because some things just are faster, right? Some things take longer. So Tuesday, I edit the Monday email that will then get sent off to my assistant that will go out on Thursday. And then Tuesday, I also write the first draft of the following Monday's longer MFF email. Then Wednesday, I edit that MFF email. Same thing. I do one sit down to write the draft. I do one sit down to edit it. That's it. And then I Same. tag something to Google Doc and they make it happen. And then I believe so much in email marketing. We have recently added a second MFF email. So the main, the longer MFF email goes out on Mondays, and then there's usually a quickie that goes into Friday. And this is a relatively new thing we've started to do because we've seen, and again, we're a larger, older organization with a larger email list that every time we send out emails, we get organic trials. People will opt into the trials because as part of our KPIs, we do meticulously track. We do pay digital. I think it's very valuable. Mm -hmm. but we also separately track organic and it within reason 
within reason, the more you email, the more leads you get because the more opportunities you have to be in people's inboxes and give them the, the you know, the super signature virtually everyone does, which is there's always one soft call to action. Mm-hmm. If you want to work with this, you can do this. But the main point of the email isn't usually to sell things. The main point of the email is usually to give them content, which is usually building value by either being entertaining, informing, and informational, educational slash, or inspiring. And ideally, also, maybe all of those things. It, it, people buy things when they're ready to buy things. Totally. And it, like, that's it. Like you could want to buy something and it's just kind of like, well, I, I'm in the, like, it sounds bad. I'm in the car, I'm commuting, I'm this, I'm this. it's like, if, if you catch me at the right time and I'm sitting here, my wallet's out and it's like, okay, I'm ready to buy this. I'm, I'm ready to do this. I'm emotionally ready. You struck a chord. Let's go. And um, it's, uh, it, it's literally, I, I said it in the beginning of today, but actually being on this call, it was read every Thursday's email. And it's like, I have to reach out to this guy and say like, what's up? And yeah. let's, let's talk business because what you're doing is obviously so much of it, it, it just feels like you, you touch upon a lot of those pain points that we're experiencing and Hey, like let's, let's, let's hash it out. Every business has growth, growth issues and sure. everybody has pain points, but um, I, I just, it, it worked on us. So, um, and I want to talk about one thing and, and I don't know if you do this, but well, you have, you're creating, well, now you're creating three technically assets per week, right? You're creating three things that are valuable. Do you have, you talked about your um, assistant. Um, do you have, you have an assistant, do you have an agency and are you using those pieces of content? I know you spoke on your podcast about uh, flexing it to a blog, but mm-hmm. are you doing anything where you're creating snippets of that content for digital marketing? Uh, like meaning like paid ads, are you uh, turning any of those things into lead magnets? Are you putting any of those things on your, on your um, MMF uh, like social media pages? Mm-hmm. Is, is that all happening? Yeah, it's, it's happening. And honestly, it's not happening as much as ultimately it should. Um, I think we have the opportunity to do more of that. I think the, interestingly enough, so the Instagram page, I don't really do like dark secret, which is like not a dark secret as I do virtually no social media. I'm like definitely Cal Newporty in, in that like, I don't, I don't have any buzzes or beeps. And again, I want to say, I know I'm, I'm lucky because I've built a life that has allowed me to do that. But MFF is certainly on social media and is on our Instagram. So we have a team member of ours that is a contractor that that's just, that's his only job and, and 10 hours a week. He's just keeping the Instagram fires running. I don't do too much with that content. And frankly, I think we should do more value building content. Most of what he does is great and it's great brand building and it's a lot of consumer generated content. So it's a lot of reposting of ninjas. And I think mm-hmm. we do a great job of telling the story of MFF. And I think there's a lot of social proof on there. I think frankly, we could do a better job of having more like, probably informational value building content. And the, the many challenges, it frankly just requires me to have more bandwidth to do it because my team is amazing. And the trainers do as part of their monthly responsibilities have to contribute a decent amount of content. And I think we're doing okay with it. And we could do a better job, I think, of repurposing my content for it. But yeah. it literally been as dumb as, I just haven't had the extra like 20 minutes to take my 
the email that then gets turned into blog and then, then further turn it into an Instagram post. And as I'm talking through this, I'm probably going to, you know, make Brad who I adore slightly annoyed and unhappy and be like, you know what, you, you need to do this. You're just here. Right. This, I can't do this for you anymore. Like just right. you chop it up, you make it a good thing. I'm going to give you the thing, uh, which he's perfectly capable of doing. So, and we are, we have also been beefing up our VA capacity in general. So I think that's going to allow us to have more gas to do this. I think as far as the lead magnets go, it's usually the paid digital for the most part. And this is sort of another rabbit hole that I'll give you the high level overview and then we can dig into or not based on mm -hmm. your interest. Yeah. But the paid digital, the, the very top of funnel strategy for us is brand awareness. So our digital agency will put spends against organic content on Instagram that people are engaging with. Mm -hmm. So that way, and that spend is just so we're warming people up. They're clicking our stuff. They're liking on us. And then currently from there, they then start getting served ads for a very low priced, low barrier offer. And that has actually worked pretty successfully for us as a lead magnet. So we're getting in an average week, uh, we shoot for 50, but sometimes more. So we're getting probably 40 to 60 leads per week. Uh, now these are opt-ins via Facebook lead forms. So I'm, you know, it's certainly not like 95% of them sign up for trials. We wouldn't be able to handle that, frankly. But what's been interesting about that is it's like that has become our lead magnet because I'm mm -hmm. getting 50 new email addresses or more every single week. That's um, huge. Ha having said that, to now dig into this and it's a risk of if, if this, if anyone right now is like you're spinning, you're like, I don't want to know about this. But Dan, I know you're, you'll dig no, on this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. People that I, I just don't want anybody listening to this have a sinking feeling because it suck. it's like, you just go make that contact list. You make the contact right. list. People around looking for some other things. And again, it's not to say what you, the way you need to do it, but our next move is we have top of funnels brand awareness and bottom of funnel is going to remain the low barrier offer, right? And we have, we'll have, we have two different intro offers. The one is about to relaunch for our in-person stuff when the world happens. And we have a, vir a virtual low barrier offer, but we're going to actually add in a middle of the funnel moment where now after the top brand awareness, after they've clicked or engaged or, or watched or consumed just content, they're gonna get a lead magnet offer. And we're gonna start with testing our three free workouts, which is an existing lead magnet that we have that will then take them into an automated email sequence with some soft sells. And then another offer to do one of our intro offers, which if they do it, great. Usually they're not going to, but now they're on the email list. Now to close the circle, now I can long-term nurture them for the three months to 10 years, I will have to speak to them before they buy the thing. And importantly, once they've now, they've also taken another action there, now we're gonna to start to retarget them even harder with a low bearer offer, right? So that's why, and again, I assume mm -hmm. most people listening to this understand this concept, but when we're talking about the funnel because there's a lot of people at the top and then each subsequent step gets smaller and smaller and smaller until the individual does the right thing and becomes right. a full-fledged ninja. Right. No, that's great stuff. I mean, you, you talked a little bit about uh, bandwidth and I think it's something that it, it, obviously you're very entrepreneurial. Um, I think one of my biggest downfalls personally is that so am I. And it's you, you chase this, you chase that. It's, I'm like listening to you now. It's like, oh my God, I need to leave this conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. and do, you know, whatever. But the point is, is that I know you have, a, you're doing a lot of juggling. You have a huge online business right now. You have the, you have business mentorship mm -hmm. um, 
happening. You have uh, brick and mortar space that is reopening full fledged and you had uh, more than one, uh, if you want to touch upon that a little bit. So how are you juggling all three things? And more specifically, do you have an operator of all three businesses to allow you the, 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 the freedom to be the visionary for these businesses? Yeah, you know, sort of. So it, the thing that is a little bit interesting, and I, I, this is perhaps a limiting belief or a humble brag, um, is I think my best and worst quality is I my sense of myself and my experience of myself is I am uniquely situated to be both vision and operation. Mm-hmm. But I want to be clear, that's also a limitation because I think For in spite sure. of people like I know, look at MFF as a brand and assume I'm walking around like a crazy person in my underwear and screaming. And, <laughs> and those are not untrue. Those are all true things. And I consider myself relatively creative. I want to I, a limitation of mine is I'm generally not a swing for the fences kind of guy. I have to really push myself to think big. My business partner, Michael, frankly, a lot of our dynamic is he's like, well, why can't we just, just scale this national brand? This should be a $10 million company. Like next year, what are we doing? Are we losers? And I'm like, I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> um, but that's also because, you know, and this is like a, a, you know, the running gag between Michael and I is Michael, I think, uh, you know, is, has, at times, I believe in a positive way that's helpful for us and will push us a little bit of planning fallacy. And then I've never seen Michael stressed. That Well, that's not true. I've almost never seen him stressed because he's always like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, whatever. What do we need to do? Let's just get it done. Whereas I'm very aware of my limits and time management, one of the things that I teach. So I'm hyper aware of my constraints. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because, again, I have, I think, an unusual amount of operational chops. So now to circle back to your question, who's actually getting all this stuff done? Well, for Mark Fisher Fitness, we have a fitness director, Amanda Wheels, who's unbelievable, who really runs most she really runs the show for the training stuff and we confer together, but like she really, she's, she's got that. Right. And I'm, I'm there to weigh in on things like program design or staffing or training. Uh, but for the most part, my role with her is just kind of to support her and give her what she needs. Cause she's a, a killer. We have uh, a sales director, our heads, we call him sales monkey, Kyle post, who also is amazing. And in a second full-time salesperson, Emily Morris, and they are super crush it. And every day they do 30 minutes of formal education and, they are so competent at what they do that, uh, again, it's sort of a dream scenario at this point in my career where we, you know, we meet once a week and they tell me what they need and I listen to podcasts. And a lot of my, my role, I often say, is like I'm a truffle pig of greatness acorns where I'm listening to every podcast, I'm reading every possible book, I'm going to every conference I can, and then I will just bring them back to these individuals using our weekly team meeting and they can use or disregard. And then if it's a big thing, we have to wait till a quarter, which I can talk about later if it's interest talking about the EOS system, mm-hmm. um, which I presume you're familiar with is the traction uh, methodology, yep, which we, yeah, we, we follow the same. Yeah. It's, it's the move, right? So, so that's that. And then we do have a director of operations at MFF and his role is facilities, uh, MBO kind of stuff, none of which I know literally anything about. And so he runs that piece and he has a full-time guy he works with. Um, Keeler handles the HR stuff and is our liaison with our financial um, peoples. Though I'm very, inv- again, unusual. For, I'm like very involved in the numbers and I will, ap- I will eat the shit out of a PL and go down mm-hmm. a line by line and be like, mm-hmm. what is this $7 Spotify account? <laughs> Why does Zoom charge this extra $16 last month, right? right. Um, 
So that's the way MFF is set up. And then Business for Unicorns is a little bit simpler. For the most part, Michael runs Business for Unicorns and I'm there to be the dancing monkey and a brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's only recently we've even opened up my appointment schedule that people can book with me. I've always been available if our clients want to book with me, but for the most part, Michael is, in my opinion, the most gifted coach I have ever seen as far as his not only understanding of business strategy as a directive consultant, but also someone with multiple life coaching certifications mm-hmm. that is a straight up mind Jedi ninja. And he's very fulfilled with doing that stuff. I get very tired. It's not my zone of genius. I'd rather like write books or not write books, maybe one day, write posts, um, think of things to sell um, and do tons of education, bring back ideas, uh, develop relationships. Right. So I'm happy to create content, but I'm just, it's, that's not my thing. And in fact, we've recently, as you've probably seen, brought on Pete Dupuy from Crest mm-hmm. Sports Performance because we needed to increase our capacity a little bit in part because Keeler is getting his MBA. So it sounds like, like he was getting his MBA Columbia right now. So we, we are not shy about doing all the things. No, um, for sure. And it's, uh, you know, I know you guys also are, you know, Dan Sullivan people. It's all the who, not how, right? You just keep hiring people that for can sure. do some of those things. And for sure, you know, the one thing I want to say briefly, quickly about who, not how, because I think that book is amazing and I've recommended it a ton and it's worth reading. And this is where context becomes very challenging for all businesses because the premise of who, not how, for those who are not familiar, is that, Rather than you always trying to figure out how to do the thing, figure out the person you can hire to do the thing for you. And this is broadly true. However, I think this could be challenging, particularly if someone is a relatively newer entrepreneur and they've not really reached the level of their sophistication of their business. They, for instance, understand marketing and they just want to throw money at it and have, they want to hire the who to do the how. It's like, well, I don't want to do marketing and sales. I'll hire them. They're my who. And gosh, it's the right idea, but you applied it incorrectly uh, because there are certain basic, I think, principles you need to understand as an entrepreneur. There's there's no way around. The entrepreneur no. needs to be the generalist. It's not to say you have to do any of the things, but you kind of have to understand all the things. And um, the one caution I, I want to share before anybody's like, ah, he said, who, not how, just hire someone. This is great. I never need to learn about marketing. I'll hire this agency. I would caution you and say that, unfortunately, I don't think that works literally ever. No. <laughs> I don't speak in absolutes, but- there I will. I don't think that will literally ever work out for you. Well, no. and, and I, to, to plus to plus one, what you're saying there is it, like in terms of sales, obviously we have like our CRM and in terms of technology, like even on the zoom call before we got on, I was like, I'm, I'm going to fuck this up, but <laughs> and it's the truth. But I mean, I understand enough in with our CRM to know like what numbers am I looking at? And I know what our brand script is inside and out. I can do our, do an ultimate sales tour. I know what we're hiring for. Mm -hmm. I know what type of person we're looking for in that role. So from a strategic standpoint, I know a lot from a tactical standpoint, when I start banging around in the, in the, on the computer, they're like, please stop doing this. If you want a report, we'll print the report. And I said, well, just do me a favor and CC me on every single, uh, lead. (laughs) every single lead. And then the agencies, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, please unsubscribe. <laughs> but in the beginning, it was like, I had to learn. So um, one thing that uh, I just wanted to, this is for my own own self is what about marketing? Like who is delivering are you? Are you in the marketing seat yes. for all yeah. the businesses? Yeah. So the way, the way it works right now is that ostensibly, yeah, I'm um, and it's interesting, business for unicorns, we've never said that quite explicitly. And for better or for worse, Michael and I can kind of read each other's minds 10 years in. So for the most part, 
not that Michael's not involved, but I do oversee strategy really for both the business. With MFF, it's very explicitly, mm-hmm. you know, this interesting situation where, uh, you know, technically I'm in the visionary CEO seat, but in practice, what's what's interesting is our director of operations runs the traction meeting, but I think at moment it's through through for reasons that make perfect sense. At current, I'm also the integrator. So okay. I'm the one responsible for balancing the financial things against, do we want to spend this on direct mail? Responsible for balancing. There's this customer service thing that operations want to ask, but I need to understand. I don't know if we can justify, I don't know if we can get away with that ask with the trainers right now because of what's on their plates. And then in that role, I oversee the fitness director. I oversee the mm-hmm. sales director. I oversee the director of operations. I work with Michael on HR finance kind of stuff. And then I essentially oversee myself as the marketing director. And you're doing like, if you have your marketing calendar, let's say you have a big initiative in July, you're doing, you're rolling your sleeves up and doing strategy and the writing, and then you're giving it off to the agency to actually deliver it. Correct. Yeah. And to be honest, a lot of the stuff we do with the agency stuff is they actually do a lot of the heavy lifts over there. So the agency we have, which I I quite like, they will own the creation of the landing pages. They will own, they will send me the copy and I'll sign off on it. Mm -hmm. They will sometime direct me and be like, Hey, we need you to make you like, make us a weird video for the new intro offer. I want to autoplay a video of you doing something visually strange. Like, okay. Um, So that has been very satisfying because I've we collaborate very well together in a way it's very satisfying. And it means I can really get truly get some stuff off my plate for internal stuff. I'm still writing a lot of the emails, which as of today feels like that's actually very good use of my time because that's very high value for us. And it's something that I can see. I don't know what the move is long-term because of course there is the Dan Kennedy argument that the CEO entrepreneur should always be the marketing person Mm because it's the most expensive thing. Because if you can make it rain, very mm-hmm. hard to outsource somebody that can make it rain because they want a lot of money. Whereas if I do it, I get to keep all the money. Um, however, admittedly, it is a fair amount of my week. And you know, it's I, I go back and forth. Some days I'm like, maybe it would be great to have somebody else do this, but I also love it a whole lot. And the way we've structured Same. my work this past year, it it is so emotionally satisfying to me to write this stuff. Because I think not only do I know it clearly drives the business and I can sort of look at the stats to sort of prove like, oh, yep, yeah, this email, a lot of people clicked on it. We had like seven people opt into a trial. We're probably going to get three new members out of this email, yeah. which when you do lifetime customer value, that was a great use of my 35 minutes to write that email. Totally, totally. Um, you know, and admittedly, I also, there's a part of me too, and this is not to, uh, you know, be a contrarian or give anybody listening to this like, oh, I don't believe these guys, email marketing's blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, you know, you need to test and question all of these assumptions, right? So part of me is like, is it is it really that important that I'm writing it? Would we get similar value out of having a VA put together a once a week email that is, you know, two to three of our most popular Instagram posts of the weeks? P.S. When you're ready to work with us, dot, 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 dot. So, you know, my sense is it's probably some of both. There's probably some people that will never open up an email. There are probably people that just us sending them is sufficient. And there are probably people, which it sounds like this is the case, quite frankly, with you, that read it enough that over time, you start to kind of feel like you know the person. They start to be like your friend. And maybe you've never met them before, but you, you you kind of feel like they're your friend. And certainly as somebody that also, like you, reads emails, I've had that happen to me many a time. 
And the, the joke, not joke for anybody listening that is still not sold in email marketing, the thing that is very bizarre that will happen is usually what will happen is the person will wait until they've consumed everything and they have nothing they, they can possibly learn from you anymore. And then they'll give you money. Mm-hmm. It sounds bizarre because many people are like, oh, I got to keep up the good stuff and whatever. Um, I, I don't think that's actually true. Like I'm, I'm definitely of the, like, give it all away, give it all away free because all the information is free anyway. They will pay for coaching. They will pay for help with execution. But I've done that several times as a consumer where literally I have nothing else I consume about this individual. I have all of their, I've watched every YouTube. I've read all their info products. And now I'm going to buy their products and hire them. Right. And it's going to be literally nothing new, but and, I just want it organized differently. Yeah, I just totally. I really like their stuff. And, hey, listen, it's like, I mean, it's the same reason why fitness coaches outsource their programming. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. hearing, yeah. I mean, why do, why do you do that? Yeah. It's accountability. It's, 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 it's removing decision. You know, you, you don't have decision fatigue when you have another person that you respect and you're in the trenches. And yeah. I mean, we now we're running a business consulting company and we have business consultants. Yeah. It's circle mirrors. <laughs> you know, it's what, it's what it is. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you, Will, um, is, is about your, uh, business partnership with, with Michael is yeah. I'm in a similar situation where, uh, I've been, Joe was a mentor. He was a coach of mine. I mean, he gave me a chance to get into business. I was 23 years old and now, you know, we're in our 13th year of business. We've had a lot of highs, way more highs than lows, but, you know, talk a little bit about what's Cause I think this is another thing where it's like the elephant in the room. It's like, wait, holy cow, you guys have been business partners for 10 years. Like what's the secret sauce? So what is the secret sauce, Mark? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's nothing revolutionary. There's no rabbit to pull the hat. I think it's just like being good at communicating with each other and just being real. And in our situation, we were very lucky in that when we started working together in 2010, we had been very good friends for, for 15 years, for literally half of our life by that point. Mm -hmm. So we knew each other so well and we knew each other's values so well. And we had essentially a 15 year conversation started when we were 15 years old that, uh, you know, I think was really exploring what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a good human? What does it mean to be an artist? What responsibilities do humans have for each other and stuff that sounds ridiculous. I'm not saying we also didn't, you know, party <laughs> to have a lot of fun, but in addition to partying and having a lot of fun and, uh, you know, I think we just really knew how each other operated in the world. And we had seen each other our absolute best and our absolute worst before we got together. And that is unusual. And that is like a lucky thing. So unfortunately, that's probably not a, a reproducible thing. But I think the thing worth considering if anyone is considering a partnership is just not going into it lightly, not going into it lightly, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, you are, you're getting married to somebody, totally. you're getting married. And the thing that is worth saying loud, which is obligatory. Many of your listeners have heard before, but as a rule, you're looking for a synergy of values, but you're looking for complementary and differing skill sets. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, right? It's it's not that you can't have your fellow trainer friend, you both open up the gym together, but more often than not, that can lead to issues. And you look at successful partnerships, invariably, it's very clear which lane the individual has so they can totally. sprint in those lanes. 
I know for Joe and I, I mean, it was, he's 10 years older than me, but when we first started, I was graduating from school. I was like, Hey, I think you can help like with this marketing and sales thing. Cause I, I just knew a lot of people in our community know a lot is just relative. Like we said, but I knew, I knew 20 people that would yeah. want training. That's but, great. Yeah, that's and he's like, well, I know a lot about training. So I'm going to teach you how to train. And I said, well, I'm going to introduce you to all these people. And the, in the middle was a, was, was respect. And sure. it was, that's what it was built upon. And now at this point, um, you know, we, we are back to doing a lot of the things that we set out to do originally. I mean, the first five years, I think we were doing everything in the business, but that's natural. Um, but, uh, what we set out to do, we're both doing, and I think you guys are doing the same. So, um, the last question before I let you go is I know you're, you're coming back to the city, you're relaunching, um, you've gone through a lot of growth in the past year business-wise what's on the horizon what what's going to change if, if you want to disclose it here but um, yeah 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 happy to share so we'll be announcing this all on monday as soon as won't go live before monday it, won't. it does it won't. i don't imagine many of our clients are going to be listening but um the the quick overview is mark fisher fitness has essentially three different core membership offerings we have an online class membership and we have an in-person class membership, which has been frozen since March of last year. So it'd be 15 solid months. And then we have an in-person semi-private training model, which is three people doing individualized program while being overseen by a coach. In the new world, we're keeping the virtual online class model with us. It remains to be seen what's going to happen. So right now we're sitting pretty around 700 clients. I assume that the bottom is going to fall out there a little bit as people have more and more opportunities to do in-person things, but that remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. The in-person class model is body weight and kettlebell metabolic resistance training, just good general generalized class workouts with music playing. And the main change we're making there is that is going from a 60 minute offering to a 45 minute offering, which sounds like not that big of a deal, but when you do the math, I think the thing to appreciate from business perspective is it gives us a 33% increase in capacity. It allows us to service more people at peak times. Mm -hmm. And because the coaches are paid out hourly, we're essentially able to do a higher volume of capacity for a, uh, for a less expense. Obviously, the fixed expenses of the building don't change. But in theory, we'll be able to handle more clients and we'll have more clients able to access peak availability. And there's some other granular stuff as far as changing one classroom to slightly bigger space. So all in, in the old world, in one hour of training, we used to be able to handle 30 people. And now over an hour, we'll be able to handle 50 people. And again, for what will ultimately actually be a similar or reduced amount of actual payroll costs. Now, the other thing that is of interest to training nerds listening is the model change in semi-private training. So the semi-private training model is moving from three individuals doing an individualized program that they're doing on an app while a coach oversees to six individuals doing small group personal training. So mm -hmm. this is very similar to the model that tons of people are running now. Same um, as us. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of where everybody's going to because the reality is I think all the smart fitness and business brains we've all seen that, and again, could be five, sometimes you can get away with eight if it's the only thing you're offering, but there is a sweet spot that's probably more than three, it's probably more than four, it's probably less than nine and probably less than eight or even seven, 
where you're still able to give a pretty individualized coaching experience. Absolutely. You can inject a lot of the magic and energy and communitas of a communal class experience, but you're still able to get in the nitty gritty of teaching somebody how to grip and rip, teaching somebody mm -hmm. about the nuances of their foot positioning in a trap bar deadlift. Totally. You're still able to do some tracking of progressive overload, though, as somebody that has now spent three months looking at every variant, it has been interesting to note, and perhaps I can pick your brain after the call, what you all do, because some of these models, what's been interesting is some of them have even moved away from even tracking uh, sets and weights and reps. And the full disclosures right now, this is a big debate we're having internally, and maybe you can provide some counsel because we want to do an app because I just believe strongly in the value of not only the strength conditioning piece, but frankly, the gamification of seeing achievement over time. And there is a major operational cost if we're now either having to facilitate, you know, six iPads and having the coaches understand how to use the apps and then teaching to clients, which may or may not have technical facility and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll leave that alone there for now. But all of this to say is understand we've now gone from three people with one coach to six people with one coach. It's huge. We are changing the price and we are able to reduce the price by about 20%. But no secret, when you do the math, MFF is going to be in a much better place. Uh, it's going to mean that our margins are much more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's going to mean that it's more affordable for the clients. It means MFF has a much higher cap on total revenue. Because of that and because of the improvements of our margin, it means the potential uh, opportunity for the coaches to make money is going to go up. It means we can provide more and better benefits. And yes, MFF will be able to make more money, which is also cool too. Mm -hmm. um, but it just Absolutely. sort of seems like all of these changes allow us to make a, a better, what I believe is a better service and training experience and happens to be a better business model. Totally. And what, one question, because this is this always comes up, is are you are you personally going to be doing any of the coaching during this transition time? Or do you still do any uh, coaching semi-private or anything like that? Yeah, it remains to be seen. I think to some extent, Wheels has really taken that over for me in that Wheels is running that so hard now. And I trust her so much as my consigliere. I don't mm -hmm. frankly feel like I need to because she's so on it. Mm -hmm. In our discussions, we've acknowledged in the old world before I had... Uh, for a long time, I did train at least a few hours per week because mm -hmm. as the chef, I want to taste the soup. Chef wants to taste the soup. And I think logistically, because there's enough change in this world, I might choose to taste the soup a little bit that first month or two. Mm -hmm. We might even logistically benefit from me doing it. I think the ninjas might get a kick out of me being in there, but right. I am not, and this is not false humility. I'm not that great at coaching anymore. I'm just, I'm not. I've demyelinated I just, I don't have the reps in. It's been too many years with me, like barely doing it. I think yep. about other things these days. So I might do a little bit upfront because these changes are pretty substantial, but who not how, I don't really feel like I need to honestly, yeah. as long as wheels is able to do it. I trust her judgment even more than mine. I think she's better equipped to make those decisions. So if it is helpful for her and she would like my two cents, I will happily do it. Um, and if we need to do it just because we're making the schedule sausage and people are out of town, Right. Honestly, it's just going to be such a blast to be back together. And I think, you know, I yeah. get that the ninjas won't be like, this guy sucks, even though they should. They're going to be like, he was amazing. He's the yeah. guy that's on the wall. He's amazing. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm actually not that good at this anymore. The other yeah. coaches are. They're just, they don't have my name. Uh, I um, feel that too. Honestly, like I, no. you see some of the, I mean, the education and, and the reps and the sets. And it's like, 
you know, it's something that you have to practice every single day. I'm still yeah, coaching just, personally now, like yeah. maybe six to eight hours a week. And I just can't let go of it because I feel like once I do, I have that like self-conscious, like uh, head trash of being like, am I going to be still be able to do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. it's ever, uh, I'd be happy to jam it down. Sometimes I feel like I've had the one of the most common conversations I've had is coaches dealing with the identity thing of moving out of, do I have to coach? And, you know, to your point, sometimes there's really a case to keep doing it. First of all, if it brings you joy, you can and should do it. Yeah. Um, if it's in your zone and genius, you can and should do it. And there sometimes is a business argument to be made for it of tasting the soup. If there's not, if you don't feel like you have somebody you can trust to really run the piece, it probably does make sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I would, I, I would encourage you to do whatever is in your yeah, personal exactly. legend, whatever gives you the most joy yeah. and energy. Hey, Mark, it was awesome catching up with you today. We really appreciate it. I mean, you, you wrote a, uh, you wrote an email for everybody to send out. You, you did a great copywriting piece that everybody could send out to their 20 friends and start yeah. email marketing. Uh, if you didn't want to believe us on the business of strength before that, listen to Mark Fisher, yeah. uh, super successful strength entrepreneur. Where can people uh, get on your list? Yeah, best way to find us is if you go to businessunicorns.com. If you are um, an established or aspiring training gym or micro gym or training centric studio owner, then that would definitely be a place to go check out. I write a weekly email every Thursday, which is from my heart, which is usually, and that one will at some point be a lead magnet, by the way, because it's, it's always framed with a question I get. And someday I'm going to do a lead magnet that's like your top 25 questions answered. I'm literally just going to make an ebook out of those emails and repurpose it. So That's I will awesome. be doing that repurposing. Um, so I'd love for you to get on there. Uh, I'm always personally available at mark at markfisherfitness.com or mark at businessunicorns.com. And I would encourage you go to markfisherfitness.com. It might not be the place you're looking to sign up and personally train at. And you might find the brand very unusual, but I do think there are things, you might not do things the way we do, but I think there are things worth stealing because frankly, even there, I would encourage you go ahead, sign up for that email list just so you can sort of mark against what we're doing. That's something that another like maybe micro final pro tip is find the studios and the gyms, and the facilities you think are doing great work and sign up for them as clients. hundred percent. I'm on like 20 gym yeah, email lists. <laughs> it's such yeah. a, it's such a smart thing to do. You know, I, I certainly subscribe to every uh, quote unquote business guru I can find. Cause I also want to like, look at their stuff but I also subscribe to a lot of gyms and facilities. If there's a gym or facility that I really respect or gym owner, I think I really know what they're doing. Then I'm, I want to opt into their list and just see how they're communicating to their prospects because sometimes you can get a lot of great ideas there too. For sure. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the business of strength. Mark Fisher, everybody.